This is Zach Flash with KSAF, your last bastion of free and independent news in Seattle. Stick with us, chummers, as we bring you the breaking news of a run of war at an Auburn stuffer shack that left a local woman in shock after a troll, I repeat, a troll used her baby as a meat shield against gunfire. Can you imagine? What is our beloved Metroplex coming to when criminals can run amok on our streets? Zach Flash signing off with the latest from Concrete Dreams. Enjoy, Ome. Welcome to episode one of the Hard Knock Sorority Podcast, a Shadowrun 4th edition natural play podcast. My name is Paul, and I am your host and GM. The player characters are given voice and agency by Veronica, playing Cecile, a.k.a. College Girl, a literal college girl who finds herself abruptly entangled with the sixth world's shadows. Elizabeth, playing Grace, a.k.a. Nightingale, a literal pony on a quixotic, self-imposed research expedition to the sixth world. Valerie, playing Ollie, a.k.a. Boxer, ex-merc and literal Catwoman, who now plies the shadows in search of redemption. And finally, Cat, playing Deandra, an elven ex-cop who is in search of her brother in Seattle and is literally prettier than an elf has any right to be. All right, so <clears throat> this is chapter one, um, which I am calling Revenge and Redemption for reasons which will become clear. <laughs> And like all good modern computer games, we're going to start with a an opening cutscene that you can't skip. <laughs> Beautiful. This is the way. All right. A dark and snowy night. A single yellow sodium bulb is shining over an old wooden pier, creating a bright circle of light and plunging all else into darkness. Flurries blow through the cone of light. The white flakes glow brightly against the almost black water. The sound of a diesel engine drifts out of the darkness, and then a small fishing boat pulls into the light. It swings smartly into the pier, and a figure in worn and dirty foul weather gear, a heavy sweater and a wool cap, secures the boat with practiced motions. On the aft deck, a dark stain has spread across the dirty white surface. At its center lies a creature. Its torso and legs are that of a man but its head is that of a shark. The black shaft of a massive harpoon protrudes from the chest of the creature. The diesel cuts off, and the figure steps off of the gunwale onto the dock. As it does, the glow of a cigarette's bright ember glows in the darkness outside of the bulb's circle of light. The fisherman hesitates almost imperceptibly. Then he says, You must be doing well for yourself if you can afford that natural leaf. It's more of a statement than a question. The cigarette flicks through the cone of light into the black water. A man in a heavy black overcoat steps into the light. I never did shake the habit, he says in a slightly accented voice. The collar of the coat is pulled up around the thin, long face of a human male. In spite of the weather, his head is uncovered and his black hair is blowing into his dark blue eyes. He glances at the corpse in the boat and grimaces. The fisherman seems to be of the same age with a face worn by exposure to the elements, and bearing unusual blue tattoos in the shape of spirals on his cheeks and forehead. His pale blue eyes gleam in the light as he asks, 
you're not here to exchange pleasantries. Say what you have to say, slight pause, or do what you have to do. The man in black in the black coat shakes his head. It's not like that. It never was. I've always regretted what happened. I didn't see you running for your life. Your friend's dead and the price on your head, the fisherman responds. That's how the shadows work, Ice. You know that. As well as anyone, the man in black replies. Think. I've known where you are for at least ten years. If I can find you, they know where you are. The fact that you are still alive means that anyone who did care is gone or moved on. Now, can we get inside and talk like adults? Ice pauses for a moment, then shrugs. I can't think of anything we need to talk about, Prokop. That's the thing about you, Ice. You never did see the long game. I wouldn't be all the way out here if I didn't have something to need to hear. He steps towards Ice for the first time, saying, A team I work with got their hands on a piece of paid data, unrelated to the runs they were on. This image was part of it. Prokop hands what appears to be a hard copy image to Ice, who reluctantly takes it. It's a grainy, somewhat blurred image. Ice looks at it for several long seconds. Then he spits demonstratively into the black water and says, Well, there's a wood stove, a pot of chowder, and a bottle of whiskey in the cabin. I'm going to need a drink, and then you're going to tell me where this fragging piece of dreck is so I can finally do what should have been done back then. That's the end of the cutscene. Camera sweeps out, up into deep, dark space, pans around, and focuses on a bright light on the west coast of North Af- the North American continent. Zooms in, and we're back in Seattle. It's an unpleasant February morning on a Tuesday. It's miserably cold and damp. The sky is overcast and gray and trying to make up its mind whether it wants to rain or sleep. It seems to be settling for both. That might improve the air quality as it reduces the particulate matter in the air. But the dreck has to go somewhere, and that means on you. Veronica, please give us a description of Cecile, where she is and what she's doing right now. Uh, What time is it? It's uh, Tuesday morning, say 9.30, 10. Cecile is probably sat down at a table on the University of Washington campus, uh, going through records. Um, she looks very focused on her work. Um, it's not a good day out, but, you know, she figures that no one will bother her if she's outside, which seems to have been true so far. Uh, she's currently wearing a um, a white blouse with like a tan bolero cardigan over with a pleated skirt, um, some tan tights and some normal flats. Um, she's very well made up today, as she is every day. Um, she has a short bob with bangs and a headband attached, and she's, you know, idly flicking with her arm through things. Did you say say she's outside? Yes, at least for the moment. So I take it she's in like a pavilion or a covered area to stay out of the rain? Yeah, no. She's she's not going to let shit rain on her hair. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't imagine. Plus, uh, you know, the rain and the the sleet is basically filtering the the soot and ash and other pollutants out of the air. And so your clothes wouldn't last very long. Uh, she has her bag near her, like, all packed up and ready to go. She looks basically like she has a class in an hour, and she's just killing time. All right. Val, what's Ollie doing? All right. 10 in the morning on a Tuesday. 
It is a shitty day to be outside, but then there's always shit that has to be dealt with. What's a little rain? Our footsteps are heavy through the rain, and what little mud or whatever it is rests upon the ground. The splashes she leaves in her wake are soul marking of her passing. She's not even anything, she's just watching warily the street as if she's vaguely expecting something to happen but there's no one it's empty would want to be out now her eyes violet growing gently in the light show over a rebreather a nice one surprisingly nice for that area almost as though she had some particular interest in keeping herself healthy safe from the pollutants but she doesn't seem to have any particular destination she's just wandering what does Ali look like mm, at the moment at the moment it's hard to make out many features she's covered in a poncho it's opaque can't make out much of her figure her clothes all that's really visible is her head and some of her clothing what is beneath is, well, she would be pretty easily confused with being male, even. But uh, there are tells. If one were to look closely enough at the poncho, one would see the faintest outline of a tail, long and thick. If they were to scrutinize with extra care from a particular angle under the hood of the poncho, they would see the hint of ears beneath another hood, this one, that of a hoodie. And they would see, hmm, actually, wait, how expressive are cyber eyes? They can be as expressive as you want them to be. They're pretty cool. easily customizable. Okay, that's good. And hard eyes, the kind of eyes that you expect of someone who's seen a bit more than someone who's trudging about the street at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, as if they have nothing better to do. So she must have something better to do. Watching. All right, Liz, you want to introduce Grace? Yes. Uh, the weather outside is utterly frightful. Grace, uh, she's not going to take country roads into Seattle, even if she had something to be doing on that day. Uh, I imagine at some point she very exasperatedly, as it kept up and it just kept getting harder, uh, mumbled to herself in Ponish something about, oh, the... She, 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 she finally gets it. It makes so much... It, uh... Sorry. Hold on. Give me a second. <sighs> it, uh... <clears throat> he, uh... She, she misses the weather bureau, uh, bureau. She'd always get a little frustrated with them whenever they'd bring in rains that would get in the way of her schedule, but having nature decide its own timetables is <laughs> a little less uh it's even more inconvenient the the weather bureau being the pegasi who control weather in equestria uh with nothing better to do with her day and no service owed to the community and no functions going in the community in pines i imagine she would have in a oversized uh like windbreaker 
with some warmer tailored clothes underneath it, go out into the rain, perhaps with an umbrella and some tools, uh, first spurred whenever she saw the first worm wriggling on the grass, trying to escape suffocation. And she's probably now um, taken up a place beneath the shade of a tree and is gathering worms up as they come with her magic and looking at them, maybe taking to with her calm link uh, nestled in a pocket, um, taking verbal notes in Ponish. Uh, she probably hasn't seen worms until now, I'm reckoning, because, well, there's thick grasses, and perhaps it's not that she hasn't seen them, it's that she didn't bother with them before, but they're interesting little creature, uh, creatures. She's probably kind of concerned that they don't have any features at all, externally, as far as she can tell. How do they eat? Because they're obviously animals. Um, obviously. <laughs> Or perhaps they're a kind of mobile plant. She hasn't heard about anything like that. You Google. Or what would the search engine be? Hmm. It probably depends on the uh, the local net that you're on, what, it, who's, what corporation's sponsoring it, or if it's... It would... Uh, you have a browse program, so it would really depend on the browse program that you have or the OS that you're running. Hmm. Well, you'd probably go and search that up now. Do plants move? Question mark, question mark, and... Go on a short tangent there as she looks it up, um, and then just back to effectively playing in the mud and with the worms, <laughs> taking herself very seriously as she does so. Awesome. All right. Well, um, Cecile, your uh, your calm suddenly lights up, and uh, it's an incoming text from your not friend Kirsten and it's labeled with a high priority Nova hot call me ASAP kind of priority level. Mm. Cecile just like text back the 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 equivalent of like what <laughs> I, I imagine Cecile has gotten one of these calls before that wasn't nearly as important as Kirsten thought. Yeah, you know, you probably think you think that this is probably, you know, you know that you've got an exam coming up in a little bit and she's probably going to try to wheedle your your class notes again at something that just irritates you about her is that she doesn't come to class and she doesn't take notes, but then she expects that you're just going to give her access to your notes that you, you know, studiously taking. Yeah. Cecile is not happy about those kind of wasters. <laughs> yeah, no. Um she texts back immediately. Uh, meet me off campus at the Soybucks right now. Cecile quickly sends back. Uh, I have a class in like an hour. I can't. It comes. She comes right back. You have to. It's very important. I need to talk to you right away. It's filled with her usual type of half words, abbreviations, and emojis. Mm -hmm. and Cecile probably puts it down for a second and just like idly goes back to what she's doing, thinking about how to respond to that. Your calm lights up again. And it's at this point, it's not, uh, um, it's not Kirsten. It's uh, the, the lab manager. Um, you call him Dr. L. Um, but his, his actual name is uh, Peter LaFontaine. Mm -hmm. um, he's not a real doctor that, you know, the students just call him doctor to, you know, out of respect. 
Yeah, respect and or you know respect. Mean joke. <laughs> he's a, he's an older orc and and he just sort of manages the lab. Um, he's a you know he's an evil. So you know he's more he's a cross between the lab manager and and quite frankly sort of the custodial staff. He unlocks the does Seal. other things that just keeps the lab running. And uh, you get a text from him and then it's basically just asking you whether you're going to be in the lab soon. Cecile texts back. Heading there now was just finishing finishing up some archival work. Okay, thanks. Uh, Cecile starts heading for the lab uh, and texts back to um, Kirsten. That Kirsten essentially, yeah, I'm going to the lab. They need me there. I can't. If you want to talk, you'll have to meet me on my way there. All right. Uh, no response at that point. Seal brushes so, it off. Yeah, you head for the lab. Um, it's the uh, the lab is uh, was sponsored and built with uh, money from Evo Corp. Um, it's a Evo Washington University collaboration program. Um, it's a big building. It's very modern. Uh, lots of windows, light and airy. You know, obviously some attention has gone into making it very open and friendly and accessible to all. So we're going to cut from there. We're going to cut to Boxer as she's seems to be meandering aimlessly down the streets of Auburn. Boxer, your comm lights up with a text message from a contact that you have entered as quote unquote downtown barista. And you don't remember immediately who this is, but you obviously took the time to save them as and the message is labeled Nova Hot and says, Hey, Boxer, this is Kirsten. Remember me? You said I could call you if I ever got into trouble again. Please call me as soon as you can. And you can make a memory test at this point to see this. Uh, all right. That is a three. All right. So you do remember this girl that you met. It's a couple of months ago. Um, it was downtown. It was near near the the university campus. You were doing a job. You remember the job more than you remember the girl. You were tailing somebody. Um, if you remember right, there was a uh, a woman had called you and asked you to follow her husband. She had some suspicions about him. You he's basically hanging out at the around the campus wherever students were going like the soy soy and trying to pick people up, which you know didn't bother you so much you were there for the money and you were taking pictures of him but when you saw him assaulting uh, a young woman in the alley behind the soy blocks you intervened uh, you remember you did exchange com numbers basically your samaritan your good samaritan complex or your vigilante complex kicked in and you did tell her that you know if she ever got in trouble again she could call you so Apparently she's calling that favor. She, she that's who's calling. Oh, she uh, answers promptly. <clears throat> Sorry, she answers promptly. You hear the sort of breathless voice of a young woman on the other end of the line, um, and she says, "Boxer, I'm so glad you called me back. Um, is it is it okay that I'm calling you? I, I I know you said that I could call you if I got into trouble, and I, I need somebody's help. Somebody like yourself. This is my work phone." And by competence, well, I do assume that you are aware of my area of competence. You hear a sort of a, not nervous laugh, but a, 
yeah, maybe a nervous laugh on the other end. And she says, I, I remember how you handled that creep. Um, so I owe you one, but I, I, I need your help again. It's actually not for me. Um, a good friend of mine's in trouble. I can't, I can't get through to her. And I was hoping you could come down here and help. And I assume you have suspicions as to the reason for her lack of contact. You hear a sigh on the other end. She's like, well, that's, I think it's just personal. Um, but I know she's in, in big trouble. Yeah, I do. I owe her. She's helped me out a lot. So I know she's in trouble and you're the only person I could turn to. Is there any chance that you can meet me here at the university at the Soybucks where you where we first met? I, outside of it. I know how they are inside about people who look the way I do. She sighs. Yeah, um, right. Maybe meet me behind, back in the alleyway first met. And if you have any other friends that, that work, um, that do the kind of work that you do, that would probably be really helpful. Yeah, all right. You get there, all right? I'll be over promptly. You have a vehicle, right? I do. Because I think if my friend Cecile's in trouble the way I think she's in trouble, we're going to need to get her out of downtown. In her. She, she signs off. Well, fuck. And uh, she quickly texts um, Visit. Is it? Sorry, I'm having a derp right now. She quickly attempts, texts Vicente. Can't finish my rounds. May need you to cover the gap. Emergency situation come up. You get a prompt text back saying, I'm on it. God, this is better be worth it. And she sets off towards home to her bike and, well, her other tools of her trade. But as she walks, or briskly jogs as it is, her thoughts cast about the people she knows. Someone she knows. See, she has gotten a sense for the sort of things that uh that are helpful in finding people, getting people out, especially that kind of location. And well, she is uncomfortably aware of what she lacks: magic. So, when finding someone and needing magic, well, who better than someone who could track her down? She uh, she still has the conduct of that strange pony that called her up to interview her and well little pony seemed like she needed work and didn't seem like she had anything more important to do so she gives her a call no wait she sent her a text uh let's see hey you uh interview chick you up for perhaps some hmm, work in the line of what we discussed and she hits send. Grace, you're out and about in the pines, enjoying the uh, the fog that is rolling down out of the cities. You're pretty sure that Miss Magnum Lightfoot is out as well. She really enjoys a good fog bath when she can get one. And your calm lights up I, uh, urgently at you. I imagine she, like, drops the worm she had been holding in her psychokinesis. She had been observing how its uh, its muscles worked on its body to try and escape her grasp. She glances down and she tugs aside the uh, the collar of the um, windbreaker she was wearing and proceeded to fish out the calm with her, uh, her magic. And it takes her a moment longer to find the stylus she typically uses for it. And she... Uh, the ringing is very incessant, so she doesn't even bother. And after a moment, she just bonks her nose against the accept 
call button. <laughs> and there's rain. It was a call, right? That was what I understood. It was a text. Sorry, I uh, I flip flopped. Oh, okay. She uh, she she pulls it up and she she gives a look at it. She squints and then she um proceeds to actually find the stylus. It was in the bottom of the pocket where she probably wouldn't have been able to actually see it. And she uh, can you repeat the text for me, please? Uh, it was in effect. Hey, you person I vaguely know. Uh. Are you perhaps interested in work that is in line with what we discuss? And, well, I'm sure you can infer what was discussed. The text back, uh, all, question mark, question mark, with a question mark emoji. Uh, <laughs> after the first two. And, uh, she gets a call promptly. Grace, uh, Grace picks up. And I imagine the, the sound of rain is already cacophonously apparent. And she's like, uh, hi! Uh, hi. Your name is Boxer, right? Hi. I'm a. Uh, uh. What? What's? What's going on exactly? Where? Where is this going on? The the work? Question mark. Uh, are you familiar with the? Also, don't shout. It's not good for our profession. Anyhow, it is the story box. If you are familiar, outside of the what was it Washington College. Mm-hmm. Washington I said at the Washington College. Are you familiar? <sighs> Am I kidding? You have maps. Use the maps. Can you send me an address? Also, do you is is this is this now? Do I have to come out now? This is as soon as you can manage. Well, the roads are like drowning. You I... are tall enough to not drown. So, are you up for it or not? Okay, I'm tall enough to not drown, but my car is my car isn't. Um, uh, what what's going on exactly? What do you need me to do? <sighs> There's a job. Someone's friend is apparently in trouble. We are getting paid to check it out. How much are we getting paid? Mm. That is something we will have to figure out later. <laughs> okay. Were you really going to do anything else with your morning? She proceeds to pick up another worm from the grass, and she says, I was doing some very important research. Zoology, you see. Right. Like the last time when you were testing whether paper was edible? Come on. Fine. I'll, uh... I'll come over once I finish up. And then she, she curses. Well, not curses, but she, she, she says some expletive in a language that boxers never heard as the worms wriggles out of her grasp again and she says i i'll i'll uh, just send her the address so she can put it in the navigator thing and uh she does so she sent it all right so i think we're going to cut back over to cecile as uh boxer and nightingale make their mm -hmm. cecile you're heading into the lab and uh <clears throat> as you enter the lab where you've been working on um what were the studies that you were working on again Seal is currently uh, for her internship or yeah. for her university studies? For her internship. Okay, for her internship, she's been working on digitizing some arcane texts, and then also she's basically doing the arcane equivalent of, like, large data algorithmic work. What would the lab look like for that, do you think? Oh, it... It would basically look like an office. It it wouldn't be like 
it would be like uh, a library, but very much for mages. Very full of themselves, lots of wood. Okay. You so know the types. Natural materials, art on the walls. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not lit too brightly, right? Probably not too brightly. Comfortable furniture. Cubicles for when you really need to put your head down and work. You know most of the people who work there, right? So, you you know, you've been in the program for how many months now? Oh, she probably would only have been in this internship for a month or two. Um, yeah. Okay. Since, since she's only been past, like, one semester and she probably didn't get the internship immediately. So this so is a as pretty you, recent job. As you enter the lab, um, looking around at the, at the familiar faces and, you know, trying to remember everybody's name so that if they do come up and talk to you, you're ready. Off in the background, you see uh, Dr. L talking to some other um, students and staff members, interns and staff members. And uh, you get the, f- you suddenly have a f- feeling of of unease um it's similar to the feeling that you sometimes have when you're on a particularly challenging data trail mm. a slight tingling along your spine sort of a almost a soft lithering sound you, you, you sometimes when you're like when you're really into the data and you're following some trail you hear you you know you get this sort of sensation about you as if you know you're on the hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get that feeling now, but it's not quite the same. It doesn't have quite the same exhilarating thrill as when you're when you're deep in the data and you're starting to see patterns and, you know, some of the uh, information is revealing itself. It, it, this is more of a something's, you feel almost like something's wrong. And uh, you can make a perception check if you'd. Oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, what's perception again? Oh, right. I just roll perception because it's a skill. Never understood why they always have perception as a skill. Uh, that's four dice. I need to roll. Uh, oh, geez. Okay. That's four nice. hits. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Something's different about the lab today. There's far fewer people in here than normal and, and quite a bit less noise. And um, the old orc, um, Dr. L, um, Seems a little nervous. He seems to be, he's sweating and he's, uh, you know, he's just uh, something about the lab. There's a tension in the lab that you, you know, is abnormal to you. You can't put your finger on what's going on. Nothing seems to be amiss, in the, but you definitely get a sense of tension and, and uh, you know, it's, it's, to you, it's almost palpable. You get that sort of slithering feeling that something's not. Cecile's suspicions have been considerably raised, and you said she was going to walk up to Mr. L? I mean, Professor L? Uh, you can, yeah, if you want, or you could just go for go to your cube and start working. He did. He had asked you, he had sent you that text asking whether you... Cecile doesn't really move and kind of starts shuffling back towards the exit and sends a very quick text to uh kirsten saying did you involve me in something (laughs) (laughs) um but cecile's like backing up towards the entrance and kind of going starting to get on the matrix to like look at some cameras or something because her her mystery instincts have started to kick in 
She's like, I know this scene. I've written this scene. <laughs> yeah, you don't get a text. Uh, you don't get a text message back from Kirsten immediately. So, if you wanted to go into uh, AR at this point and take a look around, yeah, Cecile would do that. You see, you know, most of the normal icons that you see. Um, obviously, all the terminals in the lab are on, and the various personal access uh, networks of the people in the lab. Um, you see the, uh, there are, cam- there are plenty of cameras in the lab. Um, they're, they're not new. You've seen these. Before. Um, and, uh, that's, uh, from a matrix AR perspective, um, you're not seeing anything that's triggering any alarm bells to you. So right now you're, you can't, you're not, nothing seems to be wrong. You're, it's just a feeling that you got walking into that room that there was a, a, a heightened level of anxiety. Mm. At that point, uh, Dr. L notices you and, and looks a little bit relieved and starts motioning you over to him, you know, sort of raising his hand up over the cubes going, you know, come over here, come over here. What does the look on his face say? It's relieved. Um, you could do a judge intentions roll. That would be charisma plus intuition, yeah? That makes sense. Uh, Is it a clicky on your... <laughs> oh, I'm to look at my sheet. Click judge intentions. All right, uh, with two hits, you definitely get the feeling that he is feeling a sense of relief at seeing you. Uh, you do not get any uh, sense of malice or ill will towards you. The seal, once she realizes she's been noticed, very quickly like snaps into that smiling, yeah, everything is fine kind of look and starts walking over. So Dr. L is standing by a, by a terminal and uh, he... Uh, the the two uh, lab assistants and interns that are with him, he, he sort of motions them to, to go away. And uh, when you get to him, he, uh, he greets you for, rather formally. Uh, good morning, Cecile. Um, how are you today? Oh, I just finished up some archival work. Is something wrong? He looks, uh, for a moment, a, a brief flicker of concern crosses his face. And he, he says, no, I, I was wondering if you could tell me of something. Um, no, it's... Sorry, I thought I noticed something. Uh, probably going to spend a couple hours in the lab today just going over some of the texts that I was finishing up with last time. Well, uh, the, the reason I ask is uh, Dean Petrov has uh, requested that I escort, escort you to his office. You're not in any trouble, are you? I certainly hope not. I do my utmost not to be. Um, Dean... Dean Petrov is the the head of the the Evo Washington University collaboration program. He's in charge of the uh, the entire Evo facility. Um, you've met him at some social functions, mm-hmm. um, very briefly. You know, he's introduced himself in the lab once or twice. Sort of a stern Russian, older Russian man, quite tall. Uh, you remember, but he's also very. Uh, you also remember that what you've heard of him and what you've seen of him. He's a not just a an administrator, you know, involves himself heavily in the day-to-day labs and is quite competent with the lab work. So, but you've never, you know, said more than, you know, an introduction and, you know, maybe some superficial sentences to the man. Mm-hmm. Cecile looks relieved at this and says, well, I can only hope that this means that it's good news. Maybe he's taken note of my work. You wouldn't happen to have overheard anything about the reason why did you 
He didn't tell me anything. Yes, I mean, you have been doing exceptional work. And so You're such a flatterer. I hope, I, I don't know why I thought something was wrong. It was just so unusual for him to uh, text me directly like that. But he did request that I bring you up as soon as I saw you. So um, if you wouldn't mind following me. Certainly, certainly. All right, you head out. I should um, say, Cecile um, is never one to walk into a conversation unprepared. She is uh, now in AR via, like, DNI, like, because she's wearing her headband with the trodes on it. Um, mm -hmm. She is searching the Matrix as hard as she can for something about what is going on. She needs to know how to present herself walking in. Okay. Um, hmm. Curious how deep you'd have to go. How long how is the walk over? Uh, it'll be probably a good close to 10 minutes. You're going to have to go up a couple of, uh, you're going to have to go up a couple of um, floors by elevator to get to the administrative level where the dean has his offices. Cecile could probably make a fair number of like data search checks. Um, are you going to attempt to crack or hack into any of the more confidential file systems for the university or Evo? Oh, that's a good question. I'd say that for the moment, she's only going to be searching for like anything surface level just to start. She doesn't want to like if this is a promotion, she doesn't want the first thing she does to be like break into the <laughs> systems of the place yeah. she's getting promoted at. That might be bad. <laughs> Um, let's see. Do, 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 do now. Okay. What are the what are the kind of keywords that you're going to search for? Oh, she'll definitely be searching for her own name, Petrov. Um, possibly she'll start with those. Like she wants to know everything about her and everything about this man. Even if it's just like getting a little bit of background on the guy, she needs to know. Um, okay, so, that so would be a browse rating for. So that would be a, let's see, is it response? Hmm. Let me pull up the rules quickly for uh, for the Matrix stuff. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Mm -mm -mm. Data search, browse or other. Um, data search plus browse. Okay, that's a lot of dice. Um, so that's a 13 dice I would I will be rolling. Give yourself a minus two because you're walking and Dr. L is chattering nervously at you. That's 11d6 I'll be rolling out. Ooh, not our best work. No, you've got two hits on 11 dice. You did not glitch, although you got a couple of ones there. Um, but with two hits, you know, you're, you're, getting the, you're getting the data that a lot of it you've already found because... Mm -hmm. If I know Cecile's character, she's already at some point, you know, done a search on just about every staff member that she's come in contact with. Oh, absolutely. Um, so a lot of what you're getting back on on Dean Petrov is, uh, you know, the promotional stuff from the university and from Evo. Um, you know, the the man is a a brilliant um, um, magical researcher. Um, he's had some, you know, exceptional breakthroughs for. Obviously, a rising star with Evo, and uh, he is—he's originally from from Eastern Russia. Um, speaks a lot of languages. Uh, I should note 
that this is an extended test. The rules are slightly different for 4E. Okay. Um, you have to remember the rules for extended tests off the top of your head. Uh, you can roll again. Every hour? I No, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of something else. Depends the, on the time frame for searches. Yeah, she's probably... Okay. So the interval for the entire matrix is a minute. Um, and that there's a little table here for, for general knowledge versus limited versus hidden. And it goes 6, 12, 24. Um, so she could probably like get through the node she's on easy um, or signal area. Let's say she's only searching the signal area. She doesn't need to find like things all across the internet. So she's going to be making like what in 40 let's see in 30 seconds she'll be making 10 rolls <laughs> well let's let's abbreviate that slightly and let's just go ahead and make five rolls okay uh, that should give you enough spread that you can get i'll still take the minus two on each of those so that's 55 d6 <laughs> Uh, that might be difficult to count. Eh. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They weren't kidding when they said Shadowrun would have a lot of you six. 10, <laughs> 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 21. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so you know pretty much everything that is available in the public domain. So what was it? Six was public, 24 was hidden. Mm -hmm. so, so if she had like a couple more seconds, she would be getting to hidden or actively erased, but only within a signal area or the node she's on. Yeah, so I think what happened really was uh, once you guys entered the elevator, um, there was just enough interference, signal interference there that for the most of the elevator ride, you you didn't get very far, and you basically just started listening and responding to Doctor L's, you know, mm -hmm. inane chatter. Um, but you know, you know that Doctor Petrov is, or Dean Petrov is on site. Um, you know, cameras had picked him up, so that information was out there. Um, you know, everything about his persona. Uh, you know that he lives in Seattle. That he's been in Seattle since Evo built the built the facility here. You've got your own files that you were able to pull up your, um, your student records and, uh, nothing there is, um, and you're searching your name and the Dean's name. Yeah. Just any kind of connection between the two or for either of those. Okay. Um, I don't know if you're going to get a whole lot more, um, out of that. But you do get a sense, let's put it this way, you do get a sense that both your files and uh, Dr. L's have been, shall we say, you get a sense that they've been clean. Oh. Like they may not be the original files. They may be facsimiles that somebody has placed around mm -hmm. to make it look like everything is. Okay. This sends alarm bells ringing in Cecile's mind because she is a mystery author. So she's she's not quite as gullible as the rest of the population. Or at least she doesn't think so. <laughs> yes, there is something 
there's certainly something afoot. Um, either the files have been tampered with or they've been replaced in such a way as to obscure something. Okay, so Cecile is now going to exit the restroom. Um, does she see anything amiss when she comes out? Uh, Petra, or, um, no, Dr. L is uh, awkwardly leaning on the counter, uh, make, trying to make small talk with the, the blonde receptionist. Um, and her demeanor is basically turning his hot soy calf into ice. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's quite relieved to see you come back because um, <laughs> he's getting frostbit next to her. And uh, you also get the sense that she is relieved, not relieved to see you, but um, you know it puts things back in the right order for her at least. Mm-hmm. And she says, go right on in. They're expecting and she okay, does say so they are expecting. While they're walking, Cecile is going to, as subtly as she can, like go up next to L and like whisper in his ear, "They're gonna fire you." <laughs> he drops his coffee. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? He uh, I didn't say anything. She like communicate tries to communicate with the look, like play it cool. All right, he's he's sweating profusely and he's fumbling about trying to pick up his coffee and you know he's looking at you suspiciously and he's like just a moment I'll be right back and he you know shuffles back to the receptionist area and and the the woman at behind the reception desk is looking at him quite annoyed at this point and she's like good grief Mr. Uh, Lafontaine pull yourself together get rid of that cup and and get get into the dean's office He's not going to be happy with your performance here. And he throws away the cup and he, he comes back to you looking a little bit like a beaten dog. Okay. Seal two, like. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, you first. The two security officers have just been standing there watching you and they, they sort of glance at each other at this whole scene and then smirk. Seal is impeccably cool right now. She, I just want to say to an outside observer, she would look fine. All right, make a composure test. Ooh, a composure test. I shall. Uh, composure seven dice. Let's, let's hope she's holding it together. Two. Well, she's not falling apart. Let's put it that way. <laughs> she may feel like she's the ice queen, but maybe the outside to an outside observer, um, there are some telltale signs that she is a little bit nervous at this point. She's she's imagining herself as the heroine in one of her novels. The Topps Company, Inc. has sole ownership of the names, logo, artwork, marks, photographs, sounds, audio, video, and or any proprietary material used in connection with the game Shadowrun. The Topps Company, Inc. has granted permission to the Hard Knock Sorority Podcast to use such names, logos, artwork, marks, and or any proprietary materials for promotional and informational purposes on its website, but does not endorse and is not affiliated with the Hard Knocks Sorority Podcast in any official capacity whatsoever. The music for the Hard Knocks Sorority Podcast was written and performed by Trace Mineral. The Hard Knocks Sorority Podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons License 4.0.
meaning you are welcome to use the material as long as you give us credit.